HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Thursday at 1 o'clock, and you're tuned in to the Farm Report. Today's Farm Report is sponsored by Acme Smoke Fish, located in Greenpoint, Brooklyn. Acme has been a mainstay in New York's culinary landscape for over 55 years. Using old-world recipes, Acme produces the finest smoked salmon, whitefish, sable, that discerning, discerning palates demand. For information on where to find Acme, Blue Hill Bay, or Ruby Bay products, visit www acmesmokefish.com all right and today we have with us um special friends and network he's been on the farm report that i think is his third appearance here matt lorenz of uh, trees not trash uh last time he was on the show was actually a year and five days ago where we spoke to him about ultra sophisticated green buildings in the netherlands and um, before that we've spoken uh with him to talk about how to uh, create um an urban garden on your roof um, green walling, things of uh, the like, um, you know, converting gray water into white water and uh, just um, all uh, related projects. Um, so, Matt Lorenz, we are happy to have you back here in studio with us live today to talk about some of uh, your newest projects and um, everything um, in the world of Trees Not Trash. Howdy, howdy. Good to be here. How Definitely. are you going? We're super excited to have you, Matt. I want to hear more about putting the bush back in Bushwick. What is going on? Putting the bush back in Bushwick. That's right. That's Trees Not Trash. That's an organization that I've been involved with for, I guess, the last maybe four years or so. When I first moved to Bushwick, I started getting involved. It's just um, uh, kind of a not-for-profit uh, collective of urban gardeners, and uh, we manage a couple of community gardens here in Bushwick. Um, as you may or may not be aware, Bushwick is supposedly one of the most uh, non-green of the areas in the five boroughs, meaning that there's fewer parks or trees per citizen, um, which is a bit troubling uh, considering that a lot of us really either come from places that are pretty green or we really like there to be green stuff around. And since Bushwick is kind of in the process of being converted from a formerly a lot more commercial area to a hopefully more residential area, we're trying to slowly bring the number of street trees uh, number up higher, um, the number of uh, community spaces that can be used for gardening, uh, if only for just green stuff that looks cool, but ideally for stuff that actually can be grown to be eaten locally. Um, so yeah, so there's a, a number of volunteers that work in the area. Um, we're really happy about a project we just started uh, last year with the Bushwick branch of the Brooklyn Public Library. 
And that's really awesome because um, they allowed us essentially to set up shop in their backyard. So there's this beautiful Carnegie-era um, library, which is right here, only about less than a mile away. It's um, uh, right on Bushwick and, I believe, McKibben. And yeah, so we started a Young Gardeners project, um, which um, started in the spring. Regrettably, they lost their funding for weekend programming, so we had to shut down operations on Saturday. But then the good news is that they're now open again on Saturdays. Um, so we're starting to put in uh, planter boxes, and we got a bunch of trees donated and a lot of foliage from some of our local really gracious sponsors, such as the Sprout Home in Williamsburg. They give us kind of overstock stuff, and we're able to put it in our community gardens. So we got a lot of projects going, a lot of cool people in the mix, and anybody's interested in helping out, um, just uh, check out the website, uh, shoot me an email, give us a call, um, and we'll, you can find out when we're active. And where would that be at? TreesNotTrash.org? That's correct. All right, cool. So go there for all contact info and things of the like. And so you guys currently are operating just in Bushwick? That's correct. We, um, we've we had some kind of overlaps where, for example, there's um, uh, there's a community garden on, I believe it's Lafayette in Bed-Stuy, where we got, we've gotten uh, seedlings and things from them. We get free mulch every year from up in Greenpoint. Um, if anybody's interested in getting a bunch of free mulch right after Christmas tree chopping time, mm. uh, they grind up all the trees trees and they have these huge big mountains of, uh, of uh, bark and you can go get, you can fill up as many truckloads as you want um, if you don't have a truck you can rent one and just uh, drive it to your community garden or and you can basically um, put that on top of stuff that allows a little bit of insulation um, it can be used as kind of beauty bark for a patio something like that but they just you know they have to get rid of it um, mm-hmm. and regrettably there appears to be a lot more beauty bark floating around as a result of this recent tornado we had because I, a lot of trees got chopped down. Yeah, I really wanted to ask about that I mean what does that mean for your projects and other people I mean I know I, I just got an email from a friend of the network Derek Denklow saying his community farm um, 80 to 90 percent of their harvest has been completely wiped out because mm-hmm. of last week's hailstorm in yep. October. Yep. What do we do? Um other than try to uh, enact legislation that'll be perhaps a little bit more conscious of the ongoing global warming, which I refer to in not so unfunny terms as a global weirdening, right. I think, yeah, is perhaps that the entire, you know, the, the global weather conditions are certainly getting warmer. But what that results in on the local level is that uh, traditional uh, weather patterns that you kind of come to expect, like, oh, this time of year, it should be this temperature or whatever. Um, in fact, it's resulting in uh, more extreme weather patterns. Uh, mm-hmm. I think a lot of evidence suggests that areas that were formerly perhaps wetter during a certain season are drying out. And the inverse can be said. Um, I know the summer, for example, it seemed like Seattle and uh, San Diego kind of swapped weather for the whole summer. It mm-hmm. was really cold and foggy in Southern California for most of the summer, and it was really dry and warm up in, or drier and warmer than normal up in the Pacific Northwest. So um, what can be done about it? I'm not sure. Um, definitely, it makes me kind of reevaluate a lot of my structures that I'm putting up. Um, our uh, roof garden on our building was literally just ripped asunder, and there's things that are just gone that were like blown into Queens. Wow. So, um, so I don't know what you can do other than try to make things really a lot more bulletproof. Mm-hmm. Um, if you have foliage that uh, is trellised to a wall, make sure that the uh, planter beds that are also um, providing the roots for those also are bolted to the wall because okay. we lost a whole strand of Virginia creeper because the whole <laughs> box ripped away and it was still stuck on the wall. So we survived a lot of the um, plant damage, but we had a lot of structural damage as we relate to that. So, so it is, it is really tricky to make it bulletproof for a tornado. I mean, what do you do? Um, 
but there probably are techniques that people will learn the first time and hopefully make things a little bit stronger for the future. Definitely. And I know Aaron and I were talking a little bit before the show. We wanted to maybe get into a little uh, more about this climate changes. But I just wanted to ask, do you have any, um, as we are source here for resources, any places that people can go to kind of follow these, like, you know, changing trends and what you, you know, um, call your global weirdness? I and mean, where do you go to, like, you know, stay on top of, uh, you know, some of these issues? Um, that's a good question. I kind of troll around the web and just look for stuff. I, I guess I'm not versed in too much of the data related to it. Mm-hmm. I think I kind of intuitively feel that it's a factor. And um, as a result of that, I guess it just makes those of us that are are willing or able a little bit more um, kind of acutely aware of just the fact that, listen, like we have to be able to get food locally grown Mm -hmm. with increasing readiness. We have to be able to have, uh, you know, kind of a robustness to our kind of locavore economy so that things like, you know, I love the idea of the Grange Farms. I love the idea that instead of producing more ecological kind of byproducts and waste by trucking stuff in from far away. Um, We should rely ideally on stuff that's grown more locally, ideally stuff that you grow in your own backyard or on your roof. Um, And that I think the technologies are are becoming more readily available. Mm -hmm. And certainly the resources and the DIY kind of like, hey, do you want to learn how to make a a planter bed or do you want to learn how to make a rainwater collection system? Come on down. uh, Yeah, exactly. That experience is being easier and easier to share. Um, and I think the resources for getting these raw materials um, mm-hmm. are, are it's getting more prolific, which is really great news. Um, but again, you know, we're always kind of playing catch up with what might be expected to be a better threshold of, of, of awareness and readiness. Um, so, yeah, it's always you definitely have your work cut out for you if you're trying to make this place a little bit greener around here, for sure. I definitely want to give a shout out for some new kind of resources in growing food in urban environments. Parsons is actually hosting a wonderful um, exhibit right now called Carrot City uh, Urban Concrete. You can you can walk in. It's uh, 13th and 5th Avenue. They have uh, it's a partnership between partners Parsons and Lang, the undergraduate program at the new school, and a group out of Toronto called Carrot City. They have a traveling exhibit of new technology in urban farming. So they have a lot of really interesting models, um, feeder bags for growing mm-hmm. plants in. It really runs the gamut. And they're also doing programming on Wednesday nights. So it's definitely something to check out if you want to get into a little bit more growing in the city. Um, climate change. Yeah, I was surprised to learn that the heat index for New York City, for cities in general, are, are hotter. They tend to retain a lot of heat. And I know that trees have become... I don't, I don't know if it was like this when you guys were in school, but the like planted tree... The Arbor Day Foundation. Oh, yeah, totally. I mean, it was forever. Um, green, uh, what was it? Earth Day. We will always plant a tree at our elementary schools. And then I know New York City is launching the Million Trees program. And then you have your tree program here in Bushwick. Are you guys connected in any way? Or why do you think? what do you think it is about trees that resonates so much with people as kind of a, a tool for change? Well, the tree is something that can be put in virtually any area, including on public streets if you get the right paperwork or if you get the you know go, made the right three one one call. But you can have them inside, outside. You can you can put them in something that's movable, uh, and immediately it gives you this living thing that you can take care of. And by perhaps taking care of that, maybe if it's the first tree you've taken care of, it it might lead you to look at other trees and their health around you with a little bit more kind of care. You know, if you if you're growing your own thing and you recognize, okay, it needs to have certain health for the root system. You know, you need to trim it here and prune it there, and um, you can move it to a little bit better sun or less sun, and so forth. It kind of makes it so that if you start on that level, um, then perhaps as you're walking down the street, you see like, hey, there's you know, like for example, here in Bushwick, just this earlier this year, there were several hundred trees. Um, I think there's supposedly it's supposed to be a couple of thousand in the area, but they at least have a several hundred just within maybe five or six blocks of here. 
Um, and so what's cool about that is you're, you're walking by and you see that like, wow, you know, cause we had a really dry, relatively dry summer. Mm-hmm. There was, there was, I think there was a couple of weeks where we had virtually no rainfall, which yeah. was really bizarre. And as someone who ra- harvests rainwater, I had built this kind of elaborate system and then, okay, great. And then, you know, <laughs> no I, 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 it, was, it was just bone dry. And uh, so like, for example, a lot of the street trees that got put in, it's really critical that for the first couple of months, certainly a couple of years of their life that they have, I think it's 20 gallons per week of water, which, and you can imagine that if it's not coming from mother nature, you got get those watering cans yeah, out but, 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 to, but to the credit of a lot of bushwick uh, uh citizens i would see them out there with the hose kind of making you know they'd nice. make the little donuts around the base to retain a little bit of water you got the gator bags that are around there they're hosing them down um maybe cracking a fire hydrant and using a bucket to get those because those little guys you know they start out small but every year they're just i mean trees are like slow motion explosions you wait a couple of decades and they're these big beautiful things that shade us keep us you know keep the streets looking a little bit better they actually um supposedly they ease a certain acute anxiety of certain types of kids that just are kind of allergic to straight angles and things of building awnings they it breaks up that silhouette (laughs) they also uh, also have the property of the leaves oftentimes secrete an oily substance that grabs dust from the air and results in a a less incidence of allergies and and less incidence of uh, of respiratory illness such as asthma and so forth so there's a lot of reasons why trees are a good idea Um, and we're just really happy to be involved partially with a million trees initiative, partially with parks and rec, partially with local organizations to really try to bring the, uh, put the bush back in Bushwick for sure. Cool. Well, we'll take a short break. Let's uh, hear a little bit more about how you've, you know, actually gotten, you know, to the point where you're able to be involved in all these projects because they all sound awesome and super wonderful. And let's uh, keep the conversation going. We come back with uh, the Heritage Radio Network's Farm Report back in just a moment with Matt Lorenz of Trees Not Trash. It's not that easy being green Having to spend each day the color of the leaves When I think it could be nicer being red Or yellow or gold Or something much more colorful like that It's not that easy being green It seems you blend in with so many other ordinary things and people tend to pass you over cause you're not standing out like flashy sparkles in the water or stars in the sky but green's the color of spring and green can be cool and friendly like and green could be big like an ocean or important like a mountain or I, I don't know if you guys are feeling a little sad about the end of Kermit the Frog singing like I am but um, what a great transition um, we want to talk a little bit more about rain and trees obviously with our guest Matt um, Matt I know that the trees are definitely well known for their uh, water retention properties for preventing erosion um, if we're thinking more about an urban environment, I mean, what roles can, can trees play in those traditionally, I think, what are more thought of as sub- suburban or like rural attributes of trees? Mm-hmm. Well, if you'll notice, the um, a lot of the local street trees that were put in just earlier this year, um, they have a considerably larger um, kind of aperture in the sidewalk. Generally, you might see a five foot by five foot hole that most of the street trees were planted with back in pretty much from time immemorial. Um, the new ones are almost double that size. And 
at first it kind of they looked like they might be a little bit too wide or, or perhaps you know like it seemed like it was not necessary for a brand new tree that only has maybe a two or three inch caliper but in fact that doubling of the size results in more of the water that's landing on the ground or or kind of running past goes into the street tree which provides the roots with pretty much double the amount of water that they might get normally and this is really important specifically in the area we live in because we're so close to the newtown creek which is uh if for those that are unaware of what a superfund site is uh, it might be too uh, tricky to go into it but it's been recently uh designated a superfund site mm-hmm. which results in uh, it's been determined that its uh pollution levels are so high and that for so many years it had been used as essentially a big uh, trash can that now they essentially tap funds from a number of different companies that have been involved in the pollution and create kind of a superfund with which to remedy these really deep-seated problems so what happens is is the reason that street trees are so important for preventing runoff uh, by retaining some of this water that goes past is that what happens is in a really extreme downpour, at some point, uh, the sewer system that exists in New York City, which certainly I'm sure back in you know the 17 or 1800s when it was first designed, was probably adequate to deal with all of the runoff, all of the sewer and everything. But of course, it didn't scale very well past a certain size and a number of citizens. So now what happens is, is there's what's called a CSO or a combined sewage overflow. I feel like I experienced some of that in my neighborhood last oh, week. Oh yeah, I think I think I think I think it was brought uh, very uh, quickly to the forefront um, in the last month or two. Yeah, it definitely was. And, yeah, and the CSO essentially is that in a really uh, extreme downpour, um, the DEP or the uh, Department of Environmental Protection, they reach a certain critical mass of uh, flow of um, water going through the sewage because what essentially what happens is is imagine a raindrop lands on the street it finds its way downhill to the nearest drain Mm -hmm. and then it slowly kind of finds its way to uh, a junction where it goes into the river if it's just the amount of rain that's picking up all sorts of particulate matter and oil and dust and things like that and landing in the river, that's one cause of pollution that goes into the river. But what happens is, is the system gets overburdened in the case of a really extreme downpour and it actually they actually start to put raw sewage with the sewer, with the, uh, the storm of drain water into the rivers, um, which there's a a particularly troubling uh, YouTube clip that I was uh, that I had brought to my attention uh, that was happening on I believe it was the 16th of last month, which those of us in local uh, will go down in local lore as the tornado of uh, of Brooklyn, and it was directly <laughs> after that insane downpour, where there's a video clip of the Gowanus Canal, which is I think the second most polluted waterway, second only to our uh, mm-hmm. our own Newtown Creek. Uh, but you literally see a brown wall uh, of stuff just being vented out of the very top part of the creek. And oh, it's yeah. literally raw sewage being added oh. to the river. So those yeah. of us that enjoy our swims in, in Coney Island and in Long Beach uh, during the summer, um, it's wise to kind of check uh, how recently it's rained because these are all nasty things that are going directly into the water system. Oh. So street trees, in a, to make a long story short, are one way to mitigate that amount of rainfall that's making its way to the waterways that's flooding the system so that less water Mm -hmm. that actually during a rain goes directly into the sewage system even if you can alleviate it and have it so it slows it down which Mm -hmm. is a lot of times what planter boxes on a garden roof will do definitely um you're not adding even if you're retaining only several dozen gallons of water per big rainfall that's a little bit less that's actually going in making a combined sewage overflow and resulting in a lot of nasty stuff getting into the rivers so that that has definitely been something with trees and I think with urban farming talking about um, easing the impact on the city's aging sewer system. 
Are you you had mentioned rainwater collection. Mm-hmm. What what are you collecting that for? Like rooftop showers or a rooftop shower would be a cool idea. Um, we uh, <laughs> I like that. What we have is yeah. Actually, I just was in uh, I just was in San Diego and a friend has uh, rigged up a uh, a system where he doesn't he's he's using water that he normally that comes right out of the street, but he's actually after he showers outside and he has this little garden area and then the water goes through a little hose system. Sounds and like he wa- really and then he waters yeah he waters his garden with his uh, with his shower. You, you know, you use Dr. Bronner's and it's no big deal. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but no, but the reason you'd want to harvest uh, rainwater is that, um, you know, the idea of if you have a lot of l- like native locally um, or like, you know, trees and, and, and shrubs and so forth that are local, um, they're going to pretty much need about as much rainfall as has been over the past, you know, however many decades or hundreds or thousands of years of their evolution. Um, if you have a lot of non-native stuff, that's what's called hydrovore stuff that needs, it's really wants a lot more water than average, you're going to need to water that. Um, how you do that is the easiest way, the most expensive way, and the least kind of forward-thinking way is just to pull out a hose and just water it. If you have to do that, that's one way to do it. And certainly, the water bill that you're that you're generating is not that big of a deal. Mm-hmm. But for those that are able, um, mm-hmm. you actually can locate uh, the downspout, which is the the part of your uh, of your drain system that's kind of going either usually from a pitched um, parapet wall roof down to um, basically it's it's a long spout that's going to uh, basically going to, to the, the floor. sewer, right? Exactly. Um, what you can do is you can uh, either redirect that water into a series of basins okay. or basin. Um, and it's a fairly simple process. Uh, we've got it. Uh, I guess it's now the third year of our, our rainwater harvesting system that we have uh, at my building in Bushwick. Mm-hmm. That is about 100 gallons total. It's basically three buckets. There's a 55 gallon bucket a 35 gallon bucket and then another small like a half cut bucket mm-hmm. so when one fills up it starts to fill up the other and so forth um in addition to kind of creating a cool sound sculpture uh, instead of the water <laughs> just going in you know to you know during the rain you hear this kind of waterfall um you actually are able to retain that water and then the good news is that for example there's no hose connection on my back deck but i have about i guess it's maybe a five or six hundred square foot tons of plants trees shrubs including edible stuff uh and it's all watered just locally having said that um like i said really dry summer and for two weeks there was virtually no rainfall i think it was in july so i did have to run five gallon buckets from the shower and it broke my heart because i was walking them past this wonderful system i had built that was going unutilized (laughs) yeah exactly but but it's actually a fairly easy system to do you do want to keep a couple of things in mind um it will be a reservoir where water is sitting for some period of time, so there be will be a mosquito issue. But that's a simple remedy. You just literally put a screen over the top, which also filters rocks and particulate matter from going in in the first place. Um, you also want to make sure that the structural load of the roof that you're putting it on, if it's, a, if it's on concrete on the ground, it's no big deal. But if it's actually on a roof, you're going to want to probably orient it more towards the side of the parapet wall, where it's probably closer to, so it's, it's putting less strain on the roof. Um, you're also going to want to make sure that, uh, for example, if it's next to the edge of a parapet wall and you have a tornado, that your 55-gallon bucket doesn't get blown 20 feet down into your garden like ours happened in the, uh, on the 18th of last month. Or no, the uh, 16th of last month. So there's a couple of things, but if you, you, know, if you just use reasonably safe uh, techniques, uh, you can harvest water and then you can use that to, to water your stuff. Wow. That sounds, that's a lot, but um, I, I mean, I think it's definitely something that we could like draw out and make a little PDF of, and mm-hmm. we should shoot out to all these people who kind of have these projects, you mm-hmm. know, going on so that they can uh, use this very simple model and put up on your site. 
Let's, mm-hmm. let's work on that. Yeah, Maybe that'd one be great. Afternoon. Yeah, that'd everybody be likes a good graphic. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> okay, I mean, so we we're talking about beautifying the city, saving rainwater, um, the role of trees. What about um, you know migratory bird patterns or um, insects or ex- additional homes for squirrels? I mean, is there any kind of thoughts on the the benefits of trees for? I don't know, non non rat city animals. Yeah, it's it's been really amazing. Just over the last over the last couple of years, there's kind of you know the more foliage and green leafy matter you have in the backyard or the back deck, uh, the more of a likelihood you have of perhaps a passing uh, flock of birds to stop by. There's a lot of increased bee activity, and it's always for me a delight to see a normal honeybee buzzing around the multiple things that are blooming because we know that there's a, an incidence. I think it's called CCD or um, colony collapse disorder which is resulting in worldwide populations know, of bees so going crazy. down yeah so if you can if you can add a couple more little uh you know I, I think it turns out that for initially it was it was suspected that it was um cell phone towers that were thwarting their ability to use the electromagnetic mm-hmm. radiation of the earth to navigate i don't think i think that's been i think it's debunked. been proven this is like a I, fungus it's a, it's a and mite a yeah, yeah exactly. it's like a dual right, impact right so whether or not you know you can actually um do anything about that you can in fact if you have more stuff that's blooming you can provide you know that's just a little bit more food that these guys can have and they safe can present. haven yeah though the, the one thing that's a bummer there was a there's a certain type of bee on a bee related note there's a leaf cutter bee that are not colony bees they're grayish kind of bluish um color and they actually chop know. little heart shapes out of your leaves and they'll oh. rip and they and they love certain types of trees and i was wondering what the heck was going on in the garden there was all these little holes in some of my favorite someone trees. had a crush on you exactly <laughs> it's like the bees were telling me we love your non-native sugar maples and we're going to turn every leaf oh. into a stalk um and so and and so i ended up figuring out which ones they were and i would catch them and i didn't have the heart to to, to kill a right. bee i mean whether or not it's a colony bee still it's a it's a bee so i would catch and release i would i would uh, i would i would walk them down a couple of blocks from my house whether or not they found their way back i'm not sure they, they probably pro- did they probably were like yeah i mean we're talking about bees right yeah. these, these guys you could release them in like montana and they'll probably find their way back exactly yeah wow sugar maples though that's sad i'm sorry those mm-hmm. are beautiful oh they're still alive they've, okay. got, they've got some heart shapes in them but they're all still right alive. that's cool then little mm-hmm. little tag from the mm-hmm. from your blue gray bee mm-hmm. which i have not seen actually we see a lot of bees back here in the backyard of roberta's with you know mm-hmm. everything they've got growing in the above us and behind us so I haven't seen a gray or bluish looking one I yet. I think the bees also really like uh, Roberta's margarita pizza because they usually <laughs> come out when we're snacking on that after the show. Um, what about good tree spots in New York City if I want to learn a little bit more about uh, different varieties? I know there's the Botanical Gardens in Brooklyn and some other spots. Is there a place mm-hmm. that you like to go to, to you know, soak up some tree love? There's, a, I guess on a similarly regrettable note, that Maria Hernandez Park, which is our local large park, suffered a huge downage of trees in the tornado. I, I mean, I still like to go there, but the southwestern corner of that, which is essentially the, the, the corner that met the storm head on, um, all the old London plains, which are the really classic New York tree, both park and street tree, these big, beautiful trees, almost half, half the ones that I could see that we used to have a huge canopy are all just chopped. Um, but as far as, yeah, you mentioned the Botanic Gardens, great place to go check out a lot of stuff that's native and non-native. Um, I really love to check out uh, the Ridgewood Reservoir, which is essentially to the southern extremity of our part of the borough. 
Um, if you go down any of the south north, if you go down, for example, central all the way till it ends, basically due south of between us and JFK, there's this ridge and uh, the Ridgewood Reservoir. It's a formerly, I imagine, some sort of irrigation uh, depot for water. But it's a really amazing um, kind of confluence of a lot of old growth trees or older growth trees that's been essentially left untouched. Um, and you can take a walk around the reservoir itself, which is no longer active, but still has usually a bit of water in there. Uh, and you can see this just, it's, it's hard to imagine that you're in New York City because you're just in the, you're surrounded. It's essentially like you're in the woods. Um, and it's real. I would recommend anybody wow. that's looking that for it. Yeah, great. you can walk a dog there. You can. There's a bike path that yeah, goes all the way awesome. around. It's awesome. I have really visuals cool. of Westchester in my head when you're mentioning it's this. Ca- it has a Westchester-esque sort of aspect oh, nice. to it, for sure. Wow. Well, you learn a little something new every day. Mm-hmm. Um, well, I guess we're going to have to wrap it up for today. It's always awesome to have you know um, someone come back and tell us what they're up to. So, Matt, I'm sure we'll have you on again real soon, if not a year from five days from now. That's right. Like <laughs> clockwork. Every year in five days. Totally. <laughs> Definitely. Awesome. Um, so, thanks for joining us. We got a lot of um, exciting um, interviews and um, things coming up in the next month so we will be back here every Thursday live coming at you um, from a Heritage Radio Network studio in the back of uh, Roberta's we're going to say thanks to Jack and um, Dan for engineering and producing our show today and uh, tune in next week live at 1 o'clock the Heritage Radio Network's Farm Report check the archives for uh, more on this interview later today